0: This This is the Second. Second Story Podcast.
1: Any Chicagoan knows that summer in the city is absolutely stunning. The beaches are filled with beautiful people, the bike trails are packed with laughing families, and downtown is flooded with tourists of all shapes and sizes. As stunning as the Chicago summer can be, however, that beauty comes with an ugly underbelly. Tempers flare as the temperature rises and the city begins to live on a short fuse. And nowhere does that short fuse manifest itself more clearly than on the red line train. Today on the Second Story podcast, Hermania Solorzano remembers that heat-induced short fuse, a moment when the chaos reared its head and threatened to boil over. Hermania Solorzano is a Chicago-based writer, a teacher, and a regular contributor to Misfit Magazine, a website dedicated to female health. This story, titled Seizing Chaos, was developed for the Story Week Festival of Writers in March 2012. And now, in a live recording from Buddy Guys Legends, Second Story is proud to present Hermania Solorzano.
0: I ever saw people practice Aikido was at U of I. A group would practice outside on the quad. They all wore hakamas and the long black split skirts would flare up, drawing sweeping black arcs through the air like large inky black calligraphy O's when they took breakfall. I was drawn to Aikido because it was beautiful. I've taken Aikido for around 12 years now. I'm not an athlete by any means, but I can roll, take a fall, and do basic technique. My Aikido isn't elegant, but I try. There's this little thing in Aikido called randori. It means seizing chaos. It's when multiple attackers go at you, and you just have to react. It's not staged, just people coming at you, grabbing, sometimes chopping or punching or kicking. You're supposed to keep moving your muscle memory is supposed to kick in, and you're supposed to do actual technique. That's what you're supposed to do. But generally, I just freeze. One evening, I was on the train, and this drunk homeless man kept singing out, Uncle Bill, Uncle Bill, laughing and singing to himself and to anyone listening. The car was packed. People were alternately amused and annoyed by his shenanigans. But as we got further north, the car emptied out until this Uncle Bill caught my gaze and said something. I don't remember what, but it was silly, cheerful, stupid, drunk stuff. I responded. I didn't feel threatened. Then he got up and walked towards me and extended his hand. And so I took it, thinking he wanted to shake hands. Sure, whatever. I can shake your hand, I thought. I mean, he was homeless, for God's sake, and I didn't want to shame him. Instead, he held my hand firmly, brought it to his lips, and began kissing it. I squirmed, horrified, and feeling incredibly stupid. Aikido technique did not come to me. I imagined myself shrinking, becoming smaller, and shriveling up in the chair. Meanwhile, he leaned over me and kissed the top of my head. I felt frozen. I could have screamed at him. I could have punched him. I could have jerked my hand back. Any action at this point would have been better than what I seemed intent on doing, rolling up into a little ball. It was winter, and I was wearing a knit hat, and I was happy that the knit cap came between his slobbering and my skull. I would have to wash the hat. Suddenly, a man who'd been witnessing all this intervened. Hey, leave her alone. His voice snapped me out of my helplessness. "Ah, man, you were husband? I didn't know. I didn't know. (laughs) My CTA hero got close to Uncle Bill, and there was that testosterone energy prickling between them that made me suddenly mortified at my inability to take care of my own safety. It's okay. It's okay, I said. Uncle Bill had let go of me, and I instantly put some physical distance between us, standing by the door of the train car, all the while horrified that my inaction forced an innocent bystander to intervene. I felt very responsible for my CTA hero's safety, and even the safety of drunk Uncle Bill, who was being a fool, who if I had simply walked away from him would not be in this male showdown. Uncle Bill tried to make it about race. You don't like black men, he said to me. But the doors opened at my stop, and I got off, my CTA hero beside me. Once down the stairs, I said thank you to my CTA hero, who was kinda cute. (laughs) But I was horribly ashamed. I mean, I did absolutely nothing, and I'm supposed to know Aikido. In Aikido, we're taught to take care of our partners. You don't wanna hurt your partner because if you break your partner, you can't practice with them. (laughs) But the flip side of that is you're supposed to take care of yourself. When I started taking Aikido, I was a fairly new high school teacher and some Aikido principles filtered into my behavior in the classroom, like the idea of openings. Aikido's about redirecting your attacker's energy, or ki. You look for the opening that will enable you to redirect your partner's energy. As a teacher, I looked for that recognizable flicker of curiosity, the tiny crack in the adolescent facade that would perhaps give me an opportunity to teach. So fast forward to another day, this time in spring. When I got on the train early in the morning heading to my 8 a.m. class, the 40-minute train ride was my opening to read student work. I had a pencil in my hand. I was zeroed in on my own concerns. But there was bickering going on. A skinny black man was bickering with a woman sitting across from him. They were in the seats close to the door, the ones that run parallel to the train. I was in the center of the car, and I took them in with a glance, and proceeded to ignore them. But the bickering continued. Sometimes I got the feeling that the bickering was playful, as if those two knew each other, but then the tone would shift abruptly and leave me with a nagging feeling of impending doom. When the black dude said, why don't you go back where you came from? And the woman replied in her stilted foreigner's accent, why don't you go back to where you came from? I knew there would be trouble. My ears were open for it, and yet I was still trying to ignore them. The woman was obviously not born here. I was tempted to educate her. No, you can't say that to a black man in America because of a little thing in our history called slavery. But I didn't. Finally, the man did or said something that inspired another woman, sitting a few seats away from them both, to intervene. Leave her alone, she said. Defending the woman it didn't know any better than to bicker with a drunk on the train at 6.15 in a.m. And that was it. What was it about her command that he didn't like? I don't know. But he stood up, revealing himself to be quite tall, over six feet. And he raised over his head a bottle wrapped in a brown paper bag. He raised it, not at the woman who told him to go back where he came from, But at the other woman, a short, fairly young-looking African-American woman who told him to leave the first woman alone, this short, youngish woman, maybe in her mid-20s, stood up on her feet. So now they were both standing in that shiny chrome space near the doors. The moment felt stretched out, almost static. It was like one frame in a storyboard. The other frames left empty, ready to fill in. What will happen next? I felt a sense of urgency. I could see the situation even though I did not want to see it. I could not let some woman get hit in the head with a bottle. It's the only reason why I did anything, because the train was empty and there was no one else to step in. I set my student work down and felt myself switch into high school teacher mode. Don't even think about it! My voice filled the entire train car. I'm only four feet ten and a half. (laughs) I'm not a very imposing character, but I know how to be loud. I think I learned that skill while teaching high school, but I surprised myself when I heard my own voice and how big it sounded in that moment. And that was the Aikido influence. I felt very large i ran up to the woman who had ripped off her jacket like a kid about to throw down on the playground she had a short puffy fro and a patch on her sleeve that identified her as a security guard i stood beside her and i could feel our alliance newly formed but strong we stood there faced off Two women against one man. If you combined us somehow, we might equal his mass. But he had obviously been drinking. He was drunk on the train before 6.30 a.m., meaning he probably hadn't slept, but rather drank all night on the train. He was a bit wobbly. His intent did not feel clear to me. Maybe he would hit one of us with a bottle, but maybe not. I got the feeling that he wasn't truly committed to the idea of bludgeoning us. (laughs) I will pepper spray your ass, Short Fro Lady said, just as the man had lowered his hand, and he raised it back up again. (laughs) I watched him very carefully. I never took my eyes away from him. In fact, my ally, Short Fro Lady, was merely a presence I felt at my side and saw glimpses of through my peripheral vision. From the moment I joined her side, I realized that, shit, now I might get hit in the head with a bottle. That quickly followed with a sort of resignation. Okay, so I get hit. I'd rather get hit than watch someone else get hit. Quickly followed by, well, why the hell should I get hit with a bottle? I knew exactly what I would have to do if he did make like he would bring the bottle down onto my head. Timing. It would be all about the timing, I would have to quick get under his arm before he could bring it down, be there in that open space under his armpit as he drew his arm back to strike, and simply push him back. He was tall and skinny like a beanpole and drunk, and he'd fall back into the aisle. If I could have communicated telepathically with Short Fro Lady, I would have tried to send a message about calm. The pepper spray comment sounded like a threat. And once threatened, he responded in kind. But I couldn't communicate telepathically. And all the while, I wondered did she have pepper spray on her? I didn't notice her take a can out of a pocket somewhere, but perhaps she did. Perhaps while I stood there reading this man's face like my dad can read the sky for weather, Short Fro Lady was brandishing a can of pepper spray. And I felt sorry for the man because he'd got himself into a situation where to back down would make him look weak. He was stuck. We were at a stalemate. Us shorties wouldn't back down, and because of his maleness, he couldn't back down. At least that was how I read it at the time. I don't know why things were so clear to me that day, but I was steadily reading this man, his face, his body. I don't remember the train moving. Maybe we were at one of those delays so famous on the red line. Hmm. That would make sense, because I had plenty of time to think through all this. I saw the physical opening, where I would place myself if the dude made like he would hit me with a bottle. How old was this man? Hard to say. What's that saying, black don't crack? He could have been my age. He could have been much older than me. And I suddenly found the opening. Something about respect, which I suspected he didn't have much of. It just came to me. You are going to be a gentleman and either sit down or get off the train. Notice my use of the imperative. That's from teacher training. Notice my choice of the word gentleman. That was pure Aikido. It hit him. He actually leaned backwards for a second, as if I'd pushed him. His face did several quick changes, relaxed for a millisecond, then almost a faux anger, then a glimmer of recognition of the roles we were playing, and he fell into the role of the fool. I'm trying to be a gentleman, but you crazy bitches! But then the door of the train opened, and he got off, just like that. People started to file into the car and me and short fro lady maintained our stance in the middle of the aisle. <laughs> we did not back down. We waited. The man and the short fro lady exchanged angry insults to the safety of glass windows. He pantomimed like he would get back on the train. I wish you would. I put my foot so far up your ass. But the doors closed. The end. But it's not the end. The end. People have filled up the train car, and they don't know what the hell is going on. Maybe they don't care, none of their business. Maybe they just want to read the paper, or finish reading their fucking student work. I walk back to my seat. My backpack spilled all over. Suddenly, I feel a warm, buzzing wave of adrenaline rush over me, and I realize that my heart is pounding, and I'm shaking. My throat hurts. I realize I strained my voice when I yelled at him. I try to settle myself into the seat. Eventually, I pick up the student work and finish reading it. Meanwhile, more and more people get on the train until the car is packed. I look up. Short fro lady is still on. You know who else is still on the train? The woman who told the dude to go back where he came from. (laughs) I realize that she never intervened through the whole standoff, and I am pissed at her. I have an impulse to go over to her and shake her like a five-year-old who runs into traffic and say, never argue with a drunk. Do you understand? But I don't. When we get to Monroe, I see short fro lady is going to get off the train, and she is looking for me amongst the crowd. We recognize each other's faces, and she mouths the words, thank you, to me. I smile and yell across the train, you have a good day, and I really mean it and I feel a strange momentary kinship with this fro-wearing warrior woman. If I ran into her again, I'd hug her. The first time I ever saw Aikido, I thought it looked beautiful, but putting it into practice felt beautiful. There were no fancy spins, pins, or throws, no calligraphy O's in the air, just watching, listening, standing next to another human being and seizing the opportunity to change things
1: have you ever found yourself needing your own cta hero when did you strain to listen react and to make a change This story was curated by Megan Stielstra, with performance direction from Jessica Kadish and a live sound design from Seeking Wonderland, Second Story's house band, led by company member Mikael Fixel. You can always reach me for comment on this or any other Second Story podcast at podcast at secondstory.com. Be sure to follow Second Story on Twitter at Second Story or on Instagram at Second Story Chicago to get behind the scenes of our curation process. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes so more listeners can find and hear this work. Second Story Podcasts are brought to you in part by the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, the City Arts Program, the Chicago Community Foundation, part of the Chicago Community Trust, and the Arts Work Fund. Second Story Podcasts are produced by Eric Hazen, with special thanks to Sherry Pentamone and C.P. Chang. We share our stories, so you'll share yours. Now go and knock them down with story power. I'm Ozzy Tartan, and this is Second Story.